As Brian mentioned earlier, we're going to start a little series together, work our way towards Christmas, uh, talking about worship. It's kind of what uh, our our mind is fixed upon during this time of year, hopefully, is worshiping uh, the one that Christ has sent, or the one that God has sent, the Christ. And so, uh, so we're going to study uh, together on Sunday mornings for the next uh, four weeks or so, um, really about who matters. I answer those W questions, the the what, the why, the where, the when, the who, those questions, we'll answer all those together and uh, give you a little bit of break from uh, from just hearing from me. So, uh, so we'll give a chance for Zach to preach uh, next week, and then the following week after that, uh, Brian and I are going to do something different. Uh, we're going to switch roles, and he's going to preach, and I'm going to lead worship uh, as far as the music is concerned. And so uh, just give you a little bit of a break from hearing one voice uh, to hearing uh, several voices pointing you towards pointing you towards Jesus. So Matthew chapter 2 is where we'll um, begin this series together. Uh, we're going to really follow along um, through the next four weeks with the wise men and what they um, uh, what they brought for worship, why they were worshiping, who they were worshiping, when they were worshiping, those types of things, and really get into really get into that. So this morning we want to answer the question, who matters? Uh, but more importantly than that, it's not really even a question, it's more of a, a statement that the who actually matters. And so let me pray for us and then we'll jump right into Scripture. God, thank you for um, for this past week, um, particularly for time that we set aside to uh, to offer Thanksgiving for um, for many different things, God. And uh, though we could um, we could come up with great list and lengthy list, even those who are um, experiencing trouble, God, still we could come up with a list of things to be thankful for. And uh, we know um, from your scripture that those things pale in comparison to Jesus Christ. And so if we are not uh, thankful first and foremost for your son, then we are lost in this world, God. So um, so help us um, over the next few weeks, God, on Sunday mornings as we have set aside uh, the next 30 minutes to um, to really focus our heart's attention and affection towards you by studying your word, God. And as we study it, God, may your Holy Spirit work through us. And God, as you uh, as you work through us, God, may be may we be willing to be changed by you, transformed into your likeness, so that when we walk this week, God, we might uh, walk in a manner worthy uh, of the calling you've placed upon our life, but also uh, walking as uh, as people who are worshiping you, God. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter two. Uh, we meet up with uh, these characters in the Christmas story. We'll start there in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, uh, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So I know you know the story. You're very familiar with it. You're waiting for the reindeer and the shiny red nose and the snowman and all those things to come along with this. But we need to get some clarity here. Okay, think about this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. So in this statement or in this sentence, in this verse, we already have some names being thrown out. Some names that we should should know. Some names that we should know. Number one, now after Jesus, we, we want to know that this is a name important in this sentence. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. It didn't label Jesus as the king in this. In, uh, Matthew didn't label him as the king in this verse. Instead, he, he made us aware of who was king during Jesus' birth. He said, Herod is is the king during Jesus' birth. Uh, this is uh, verse 1 of, of chapter 2 here. So we have to get this in our mind here uh, as Matthew is pointing this out. So these wise men came from the east and they came to Jerusalem. They said this, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? What an interesting statement because Matthew told us in verse 1 there that Herod was king. 
And these wise men come asking the question, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? Who is the one that's been born king of the Jews? Uh, several years ago, um, we were over at Denver City for a football game, and we took a group of students over there, and uh, the Wildcats that we were watching at the time beat those Mustangs, and we were so excited about it, and the adrenaline from the game and just the excitement of winning, we walked out into the parking lot, and some of our students were just really so excited and adrenaline going through them, they began to run through the parking lot. And as they were running through the parking lot, this gentleman in a golf cart in the Denver City football uh, parking lot, this, this gentleman is going through the parking lot in his golf cart, and he has his two daughters in the golf cart with him, and as he almost hits one of our students, he slams on the brake in the golf cart, and the golf cart skids to a stop, and our student Jack, he was doing the Heisman and almost got hit, but he's still, oh, I didn't get hit, by even by this Denver City guy, he didn't have anything on me, whatever he was saying. Anyways, in that moment... Uh, one of the little girls in the golf cart kind of flew forward. She wasn't hurt. She didn't have any scratches or anything like that. Um, she, she didn't have any blood coming. She wasn't broken in any sense, but she was embarrassed. And in her embarrassment, she said, Dad, right, because that's what kids do, puts fault upon somebody else. Whose problem is this? Whose fault is this? And so she blamed her dad. She's not seeing the whole incident. Well, because now the dad is defensive because his daughter is blaming him for something that he didn't do, he starts yelling at our student, Jack. And he yells this statement, Where are your parents? Where are, where are your parents? And Jack turns and looks at Mandy and I. And you know how young we look today, so just imagine 15 years ago, even more young than today. And Jack looks at us, and we say, sir, he's sorry, um, you know, and, and he apologized. Jack, you need to apologize, and the man is still frustrated. Where are your parents with this kid? You know, he's done so much wrong. And we understand, sir, we understand. And Mandy says, sir, he's with us. And the gentleman looks at Mandy in all of her innocence and says, where are your parents? <laughs> he saw no authority in her. He saw no age, no wisdom. He saw nothing of uh, matter. All he knew is this kid needed to be in trouble, and we needed to find this kid's parents. Well, I started laughing in respect and walked away. <laughs> and I told Jack, just come on, and I let Mandy handle it because she used to be a fighter. She took care of it. He pointed to the scoreboard also, I think. Anyways, and all that saying, the who in that, he was really determined to find Jack's parents. He knew that we weren't of any, of any importance well, I feel like the same way in this situation. Here these wise men come into the situation, uh, to this uh, kingdom, and they approach Herod and they say, where is the king of the Jews? And, and Herod's standing there like, what do you mean? Like, I'm an adult. I'm a king. Like, here I, I am some... I am somebody. I am some. I am the king. I, Matthew will record it. I'm the king. And so, what do you mean you're looking for somebody to be the king of the Jews? And right off the bat, we see this as we begin to talk about worship, and we we begin to talk about who matters. Um, daily, you are faced with wanting to be someone. You're wanting to be known. You're wanting to be known for your actions for your way that you have worked or the way that you you are working or uh, the way your family is representing you. You're, you're wanting to be represented well. You're wanting to be to be made known. Our sixth grader, uh, two weeks into school, he says, it's like no one knows me. Ah, yes, it's like that. But let me tell you, 
Scripture points out clearly that God knows you, and that's what's most that's what's most important. So, so we have in this sentence here, we have in these statements uh, this huge this huge thing that's happening that still happens today. And who matters? It really does matter. When we, when we talk about worship, first and, and foremost, the priority in our worship, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about music. I'm not just talking about this time that we just had. I'm not talking about worship through preaching or worship through Lord's Supper or worship through baptism. or worship. I'm talking about your entire life. Your entire life has worship to the Father. Who you're worshiping really does matter. Back to verse 2, it says, saying, uh, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. We've come to worship him. The word there, worship, is the word proskuneo. It really means to bow down in front of somebody or bow down towards somebody. They came, they traveled the distance looking for the king of the Jews, the one who's been prophesied about, the one that the star is leading to so that they can bow down to him. I mean, think about just uh, in your own life now, what are some things that you bow down to? Some of us uh, bow down to time. Mandy and I, uh, uh, my parents gave us date night on Friday night. And uh, about 6.30, we're like, what do we do now? I mean, what, what are we, do we need to get back home? I mean, is my mom and dad, are they okay with, we were bowing down to time. We felt like we needed so so desperately to utilize our time appropriately. We, we, we let time become the thing that we that we bow down to, or maybe it's family, or maybe it's friends, or maybe it's work, or maybe it's food, or maybe it's drink, or whatever the case may be, we, we begin to bow down to these things. And in Herod's life, in this particular moment, some crazy things are happening, all right? Some crazy things are happening to him, because he's recognizing from the get-go, as these wise men journey, as they travel, as they have a huge caravan with them, as they're responding to a star, as they're responding to prophecy, and they're looking for the one that is prophesied about. They're looking for the anointed one, the one that comes from, as came from God. Herod begins to recognize, if they find this person, I may be no more. If they come, and they're not coming to worship me, but they're coming to worship somebody else, my place, my position, my authority may be no, may be no more. Verse 3 says this, So when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So even Herod knew, let's go back, let's look through history, let's look through uh, prophecies, let's look, look through back what history has told us, or the religious history has told us about the one who is coming. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel's in the Old Testament. Daniel chapter 2. If you find Genesis, you've gone too far to the front. If you find Revelation, you've gone too far to the back. Daniel chapter 2, we meet up with this prophet, this wise guy that God has put in position. In verse 46 of chapter 2, this is what happens. It says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to Daniel. Him. So we see a, a moment of worship, a moment of uh, using um, items in worship, incense, uh, gifts 
paying homage to somebody. We lift up people all the time. We, we give them medals. We give them statues. We give them, um, we, we, um, we saw on the campus of Abilene Christian University Friday night uh, a, a memorial that was given in honor of somebody who would give a bunch of money to the, uh, to the, to the, uh, to the university. So, so, um, so because you gave a lot of money, and in honor of you, we're going to use some of that money and we're going to build you a, a memorial for the purpose of people remembering how much money how much money you gave. So we live in this world where we like to lift up people. We like to encourage. We like to give, um, pay homage towards people. So here we go. King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God. Of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. So Nebuchadnezzar recognizes in this moment that what happened, what was happening with Daniel, what he interpreted, and the things that he uh, prophesied about were coming true. And he's saying, Surely, truly, your God, the God that David or Daniel was um, was following, which is our God too, truly your God is God of, of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been re- able to reveal this. And then he says this, Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over all the province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So we have this moment where even um, back many years ago, Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar made this decree, made it known that God, the God of the God we call Yahweh, He is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and this God that David, Daniel follows needs to be followed, needs to be listened to. And Daniel's put over these wise men. And then years later, we have these wise men searching, these wise men from the east, from Babylon, searching for the one that was prophesied about. Back to Matthew chapter 2, verse 5 says this, They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, For so it is written, by the prophet Micah, chapter 5. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So we're talking about a person. We're talking about someone who's coming to be this ruler, someone that's coming to be this shepherd. The subject of that prophecy is a person. We know, reading backwards, that that person is Jesus. And so these wise men being passed down from tradition and all these things uh, from the past, they're being taught about going to find the one, the one who matters. Verse 7 says this, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them, and what time uh, the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now we know that's not the truth. When reading backwards, you've heard this story enough. You know that Herod had no desire to worship him. Herod, Herod knew enough to know that as soon as, as the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah was found, and people began to worship him. The one that was ordained or set apart by God. The one anointed from God who comes, who is coming to save the world, to be the one, to be the Christ, to be the Messiah, to be the Savior. Herod knew enough that when that happened, his place, his position, his authority would be no more. The whole idea of worship is humbling yourself before the one you're bowing to. It's a, it's a moment of humility, saying, uh, you are more worthy than I am. It's a giving up of your position. It's a giving up of your place. It's a giving up of your pride. It's acknowledging that there's one greater than you, and it's finding satisfaction in God instead of yourself. 
I mean, that's really what worship is. Finding satisfaction in God instead of yourself. I mean, I, I went through the buffet line at Thanksgiving. I went through the buffet line, and there was a number of things, a number of things. And I made a point, a teaching moment for my own kids, I made a point to harass my mother. I told each and every one of my kids to go and ask Mayor Mayor where the taco soup was. Where's the taco soup, Mayor Mayor? We're not having taco soup. We have all these other things on this table. Where's the taco soup, Mayor Mayor? My mom's getting frustrated. There is no taco soup. There's, a plenty of, there's plenty of other things on the table. Why don't you just be thankful for the things that are on the table? Where's the taco soup, Mayor Mayor? Where's the taco soup, Mayor Mayor? Where's the taco soup, Mayor Mayor? We never can find contentment. We're never sat. We live in this dissatisfied world. Never finding contentment. Always wanting something more. I mean, the heart of worship is this that you and I would find satisfaction in God. That we wouldn't look and search for more and more and more, but instead we would, f- we would find that satisfaction and contentment will only come through Jesus Christ. And our life needs to be a life of worship because of Him. And these wise men knew. They'd read. They had it memorized. They knew it's worthy of a traveling, a, a trip, worthy of an adventure to go and search diligently for this one that, that God had sent the one anointed, the Christ, the Messiah. They knew that it was their time, their gifts, their resources, everything that was about them. It was a a worthy moment for them to go and find the one, the one who matters, the only one who matters. If you go back to the Old Testament, let's go back together. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. We'll journey through Exodus together. Exodus chapter 3, we we get to this moment where uh, the Israelites are in uh, captivity. They're slaves of the Egyptians. And they're in need of rescuing. They're in need of a redeemer. They're in need of somebody coming to buy them out of slavery. And they need somebody who's going to be the leader that's going to lead them out. And so God chooses Moses. And we get to chapter 3. And Moses um, is out um, shepherding the flock, and uh, he he sees a, a, a bush that's on fire, and uh, it continues to burn. And uh, though it should have uh, already been consumed, it wasn't being consumed. The fire was just a constant fire. Uh, and so, um, so this is what happens. Moses walks over to the to the burning bush, and he he recognizes that there's something um, godly about this. There's something different about this, and so he begins to walk over. And when he gets close enough, verse five says this. Uh, then he said, God saying, the bush through the bush, do not come near. Take your sandals um, off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. So at this moment where God is revealing himself to Moses, he says, take your shoes off. This is a place that is holy. Moses began to hide his face. He saw out of reverence, out of fear, who God is and how God is revealing himself to Moses, and God begins to tell Moses, uh, here's what I'm wanting you to do. Our people, the people need to be delivered. Verse 11 says this of chapter 3. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? This is a great who question. Who am I? 
that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of God out of, out of Egypt. So when we come in and worship the Father, either in this building or outside of this building, when you worship him this afternoon in your nap time, in your rest time, when you worship him tomorrow at work or tomorrow as you go and uh, visit or tomorrow as you go and uh, to school or whatever the task may be tomorrow, as you worship God in those moments, who matters? Understanding who you are matters and understanding who God is matters. And Moses saw that. He understood for a moment, who am I that I should be the one to go and present this plea to Pharaoh, who, who really am, who am I? And verse 12 says this, and he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. It's interesting when we really start breaking down the word worship. Because see, in the Old Testament, we have these moments where worship was at a place. And then Christ comes along, and, and uh, we have these, uh, th- these uh, writings from Paul and from, from Peter, and, and they don't talk about a place anymore. In fact, they hardly even use the word worship anymore. They begin using the word serve. They begin understanding that worship of Christ begins by being obedient to him. And the best way to worship Christ is to be a living sacrifice for him. The best way to worship Christ is to be obedient to him, Serving him sacrificially with your entire life. Understanding who you are, and more importantly, understanding who he is. And the verse 13 says this, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I mean, who matters, right? Moses was worried and anxious. Well, who am I to go? But then even if I do go because you're sending me and you've given me this boldness and this courage to go and send, who, who am I to say that has actually sent me? Who, who are you? What name should I, should I give to you? And God simply says, I am. Because there's no other name worthy. I mean, he was from before the beginning and he will be until after the end. There is no beginning to God. There is no end to God. That's when we say often that we're a part of his ancient work. It is not about us. It's about God. It's about him being glorified, about him being honored, about him being worshipped, about us finding satisfaction and being obedient to him and to him alone. As we move on to this journey of the Israelites, Moses finally does go, and he, and he speaks to Pharaoh in chapter 5. He says this in chapter 5, verse uh, verse 2, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I mean, we, we often are, uh, are pointing fingers at Pharaoh saying, How terrible is Pharaoh? I mean, does he not understand who God is? But we're reading it backwards. But how often, how often in your own life, how often in your daily walk, how often have we had those moments where God has directed us he has given us commandments. He has given us a way to live. He has told us things like, "You, apart from me, you can do nothing. Yet we respond like Pharaoh and we say, but who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. What a sad statement. But what a statement that I have made so many times. 
God has said, hey, this is what I desire of you. Show mercy. Walk humbly. Extend forgiveness. Give grace. Love your neighbor. Deny self. Take up cross. Follow Jesus. And how often have I responded? But who are you? But who are you? Like that guy in the parking lot in Denver City, but yeah, but, but where are your parents? You, you are nothing. Who are, who are you? Sometimes we want to say that to God. We want to say to him, okay, I understand what you're saying, but have you walked this earth? And God says, yes, I sent my son, walked it. Sometimes we say, yeah, but have you ever, I mean, reality is this, Lord. Look at the trying moments. You really want me to worship you in this traumatic moment? Yes, I want you to be satisfied in me. Yeah, but God, but God, but God, we often throw those statements out. And then we become like Pharaoh in chapter 7, verse, uh, verse 22. Uh, the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, and so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. Chapter 8, uh, verse 10, and then he said, Tomorrow, Moses, Moses said, but as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like our God. Moses is saying, we're going to do these signs. God wants to show you that there is no one like our God. Verse 15 of chapter 8, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a... Um, a respite or a rest, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. It goes on, verse 19. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. And oftentimes we, we want to give credit to things that credit does not do. We want to worship things that are not worthy of being worshipped. We want to worship ourselves or things of this world, the created things like Paul told us in Romans chapter 1. We want to uh, be consumed with things of this world. And God is saying, look at my handiwork. Look at me working. Uh, look at my sovereignty. Be satisfied in me. Chapter 9 of Exodus. Move over to verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all this earth. We have this jealous God. It's weird to say. But he understands how incredible he is. The all-knowing God understands how incredibly awesome he is. And that he is the only one worthy of glory. That he is the only one worthy of honor. That he is the only one worthy of worship. And in that he says statements like these. So that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. I mean, if it was true back then, it is true today. If it was true for Pharaoh in his moment, in his heart and heart, it's true for us today. Verse 16, But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power, so that my name may be be proclaimed in all the earth. It has not changed. God still wants his name to be proclaimed in all the earth. We move through the book of Exodus, and we see that God um, continues to work, and then he, uh, uh, he rescues the Egyptians. And then we get to chapter 20. In chapter 20, God begins to say, People that belong to me, this is what your life will be like. This is what your life will be consumed with. This is what you will be living for daily. And he gives these commandments. And he starts out, we'll just read the first few here. But he starts out and he says this. Verse uh, chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. R- remember back 
When Moses said, but who's, who should I tell them that has sent me? What, what is your name? He reminds them again, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I mean, people belonging to God this morning, this is how we should start our day. Reminding ourselves with who brought you out of the slavery to sin. Who redeemed you? Who has reconciled you to himself? Who has sacrificed his life for yours? Replaced your sins with his righteousness. And when we begin our day with that, we worship him. We walk in a manner worthy of the calling that he's placed upon our life. When we understand who actually matters. Verse 2 of chapter 20 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. He gets to this moment, this worshipful moment, understanding that there is no one else that is worthy of being worshipped. There is no one else worthy of being called God. And he goes on to verse 4, he says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for, the, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. I mean, really, your entire life is about your worship of God. How you walk daily worshiping God. How you uh, do business deals worshiping God. How you parent or grandparent worshiping God. How you husband or wife worshiping God. How you pay your bills worshiping God. How you handle engine failure worshiping God. How you handle somebody else's engine failure, worshiping God. Whatever the case may be, our life should be revolved around not making any other gods before God and worshiping Him and Him alone. Back to Matthew chapter 2. We'll wrap this up. Who really does matter? Who matters? Who you worship daily matters. What you're putting above God matters. It matters because there should be no one above God. There should be nothing above God. Only worship of God matters. Verse 9 of chapter 2, remember, uh, Herod had told the, the wise men to go and find, search diligently, find the child, so that Herod may too worship him. Uh, we know this not to be true. Uh, we, we know that Herod was the only one that wanted to be worshipped. He didn't want anybody else taking his place. His place, his position, his authority, he thought was best. Anybody else to fill that position wouldn't be worthy of uh, Herod's worship. And we see that even in our lives today. We continue to put things in the place where only God and Christ belong. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, with his, with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. They found the Christ. They found the Messiah. They found the one, the only one, who was worthy of being worshipped. I love that Matthew inspired by the Holy Spirit, recording these words for us. Never said once that when the Magi or the wise men, 
Never once did he record that when they were in the presence of, the, of King Herod, that they bow down and worship him. Never once did they leave a gift for Herod. Never once did they, they give homage or pay homage or, or even tell Herod that he was wor- a worthy king. They never once, that was never once recorded. In this moment, we see there was only one who's worthy of gifts. There's only one who's worthy of resources. There's only one who's worthy of worship, and that is Jesus. Last, we just have to read the Bible. You know, we have to read, we have to, I talked to you last week about our, our former student, Jared, who's a dentist, dentist now. He writes a blog. At the end of his blog, he says, brush your teeth. I'm like, come on, man. I mean, I know it's important, but do you really want people to brush their teeth? If they start brushing their teeth, you're never going to see them. Tell them not to brush their teeth. A better statement would be, read your Bible. We have to read the Bible. Because the Bible points us to the direction that we need, that we need to go. The Bible gives us clarity on who actually is worthy of our worship. Hebrews chapter 1. I've read this to you before. You've read it. You have it memorized. If you don't, memorize it. That's your homework. Hebrews chapter 1 says this. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. We can confirm that because Daniel was spoken to by God recorded these things, and then Daniel passes those along to those that he's over, including some wise men that years later would go and find, uh, through generation after generation, go and find the one that God prophesied about. So long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophet. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see how who matters? Who and what and when and why? All those things brought together in Jesus. And we worship Jesus. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited, is more excellent than theirs. This week, if you are not worshiping Jesus, you are worshiping a lie. If you are not worshiping Jesus, you are wasting your time. If you are not worshiping Jesus, your life will never be satisfied. You have to think daily. Who is it that I'm going to bow to today? Who will I worship today? Who is it that I'm living for today? Who is it that that is deciding my schedule today? Who is it that's directing my actions today? Who is it that has control of my life? Who is it that I'm finding contentment and satisfaction in? And if if any of the answers to any of those questions is not Jesus, please ask God, Please ask God to convict you and to transform you into his likeness that you may give worship to the one who is the only one who is worthy of worship, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word.